You're listening to the Unemployed AF Dad Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Adam and Leslie Lancaster. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unemployed AF Dad. My name is Adam. And I'm Leslie. The topic today is something that I knew that we were going to talk about at some point on this podcast. I just didn't know when. And we've been doing this for almost a year now. And I just thought it was finally time to talk about it. Actually celebrated, not celebrated, we (laughs) acknowledged the eight-year anniversary of my DUI um, earlier this month. Uh, Over Labor Day weekend, September of 2015, I did get a DUI. And It's something that we had to deal with. Not I had to deal with, we had to deal with. And to be honest, it was a terrible time in our lives. But I think that it's a story worth telling because um, I think that it shows where we've come from and all we've had to overcome and go through. And there were some dark times, but it's also a story of inspiration because I know there's a lot of people out there who may have their own version of a DUI, and sometimes it feels like you're lost. It feels like it's hopeless. It feels like you've screwed up beyond repair, but you haven't. There's always redemption. There's always a chance to start over, and so that's why I wanted to tell this story. Not because it brings me joy, not because I like to relive it, not because you like to relive it, but I think it's a part of this journey that we've taken Um, And I like to talk about overcoming it and just what it looks like today um, when I think about it. Uh, Even eight years later, there's still sometimes it brings up those those memories and I can I can feel what I was feeling. I can um, see (laughs) the the flashing lights. Um, So I I just wanted to kind of start off by saying that Um, any any thoughts before we go into the story less? I think you um, you said it well when you're um, when you said that no matter kind of what you're going through, there's always redemption in it. Um, and I think it's mindful to keep into like the back of your mind that um, no matter what you're going through, like those hard times, while they do suck while you're in them, they are really, really difficult. Um, there's always one, something to learn, and two, there's always light on the other side. And it's just up to you to pursue it. Right. And we talked about this offline that this is certainly not something that I'm grateful for. I wish it wouldn't have happened, but it is something that we learned from. Mm-hmm. And the, that's the, I think that's the um, key. You know, there are going to be really low times in your life. How do you recover from that? How do you learn from that? Um, so that that's this story. We have learned a lot. Uh, and again, not saying that I'm grateful for it. Not, not at all. Not at all. And this is, yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a heavy podcast for sure. But I promise you at the end, there's, there's a reason why we're telling this story. Yes. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. It was September 2015, Labor Day weekend, and one of my friends was having a diaper party. 
And for those who don't know what a diaper party is. It's the dumbest tradition there ever was. It, in, in my experience, <laughs> it is. Essentially, what it is, is when a guy is um, a, going to be a, a new father, a diaper party is basically an excuse for all the guys to get together and drink and bring him diapers. So that part of it is good, yes. bringing the diapers, because anybody who's ever had a newborn knows that you go through diapers like crazy. So that's the plus of a diaper party. The, the minus was the drinking. So we went to a bar that I had been to many, many times in the past. One of the differences at this point was that I was no longer living near this bar, um, probably about 20 to 25 minutes from my house. Mistake number one I made was driving that night. I drove myself to the bar. And as soon as we got there, I knew that it was, it was going to be one of those nights where we were drinking heavily. Um, started off by doing at least a few shots. Um, and then, of course, you know, ordered more drinks. And honestly, it got pretty, it, it ended pretty quickly um, because it started pretty quickly. It started pretty quickly. <laughs> And so, you know, somebody got sick and essentially for the next hour or two, we we're in the parking lot just, you know, taking care of him, um, really not drinking a whole lot. I think I, you know, maybe I had gone in and got another beer or something like that. Who really knows? And it doesn't really matter. <laughs> the point is that at a certain point in the night, we decided that the night was over, right? We... We had drank way too much to start. It had fizzled out. People were not feeling good. And so it was really just time to call it a night. And so I remember sitting there with my friend, and we were trying to decide if we wanted to continue. Everyone else was done, but do we want to continue? Because we, we thought we felt pretty good. We're like, oh, we could still go, well, go somewhere else. And we were sitting in his car, and we're talking and talking, and we finally decided, you know what? Let's just call it a night, you know? Until it was at this point, maybe 11 o'clock. And I thought, I, since I hadn't really drank in the last hour or two, that I was okay. And we thought we were being responsible. Like, we're not going to go out anymore. We're just going to call it a night. And I remember him asking me if I was good to drive. And in that moment, I absolutely thought I was good to drive. But of course, we know how alcohol impairs your judgment. You are. are pretty much um, naive to what you're actually feeling and that's the point of alcohol it, it numbs you <laughs> you can't feel you can't think straight it impairs your judgment and so in that moment I thought I was good to drive mistake number two so again about a 20 to 25 minute drive from my house I get in my car start driving um, make it all the way into the town I live in was about a mile and a half from my house. And you look up and you see the dreaded flashing lights. And as soon as I saw them, I didn't get scared. I wasn't nervous. I just remember thinking, I'm going to jail. And it was as simple as that. And at that moment, I realized that I was not good to drive. Just 20 minutes before that, I thought I was fine. But then when you get into that moment and you know that there's someone who's going to be judging whether you're fine or not, you do realize that you're not. 
And so it went through the typical routine. Do you know why I pulled you over? No. Uh, have you been drinking? Well, yeah, I had a few. Obviously, I was, I, I smelled of alcohol. My eyes were bloodshot. They got me speeding. They got me running a stop sign. They got me with improper lane usage. And I can joke about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. But I got more tickets in that night than I ever have in my entire life. <laughs> um, so they asked me to get out of the car, have me do a field sobriety test. I failed. And they said, you're under arrest. And I have never been in trouble a day in my life with the law. Not even really throughout my life, you know. I've, I've never really gotten into trouble. And uh, that moment was very humbling because I realized that it doesn't matter if you think you're a good person and you've never been in trouble and uh, blah, blah, blah. We're all capable of making mistakes, and we will make mistakes, and some seem a little bit bigger than others. And this was one of those moments where it seemed uh, like the biggest mistake of my life. And, uh, you know, got the handcuffs put on me, got put in the back of the car, Got my um, possessions taken away from me, which included my phone, of course. You know, the police station was only a few minutes away, so they left my car there, had it, had it towed to an impound. I was taken to the police station. All the while, I do not have access to my phone. And so they take me and they start the booking process. Um, they did ask me to take a breathalyzer there on the scene. I refused. And so we went back to the police station. They start doing all their paperwork. And I can hear my phone buzzing like over and over and over again. But I'm not allowed to, to touch it. I'm still, you know, required to um, just kind of sit there and wait and let them do their thing. And so that's the part of the story where I would like for you to pick up. And then I will kind of continue back. Um, but again, at this point, probably midnight-ish, I would guesstimate phones continually buzzing and buzzing and i i have asked them can i can i call my wife no not yet not yet so this is where you kind of tell your side of it so when you had decided to leave the bar we had been texting and you had told me hey i'm just gonna come home and uh i I wasn't sure since you had been drinking if you were if you were seriously coming home or if you were going to still hang out with your buddy. And uh so I was expecting you but also like hmm is he really because time passed and and, and passed and passed and uh I started to get a little nervous. And so um I called one of our friends and she said no my husband's been home for you know 20 25 minutes and I was like oh okay and then I called the buddy that you were with and he didn't answer and I was like well that's kind of odd and then I called another friend their wife that I knew that you were with and they said no he's been home for a while too and at this point I was like okay this is this is probably not good. This is not good at all. So meanwhile, that's happening. Um, all of our friends start calling. All I mean, 
we had one friend that was calling like every, you know, every place that they thought that you guys potentially could have went. Um, I kept calling your buddy that you were with like relentlessly thinking like eventually he's going to, he's going to get annoyed and he's going to answer the phone. Right. Um, I would call your cell phone too. And so eventually I was like, well, I'm just going to go drive and see what, what happens. I'm just going to go drive and see if I can either find you on the side of the road. Um, I, I had no idea. I was terrified. And I think not to cut you off, I think it's important also to note that our daughter was less than two months old at the time. And obviously you were home with her. Yes. So I packed her up and put her in the back of my car and we went to try and find you. So um, I finally had gotten a hold of your buddy and he said, okay, I'm coming I'm going to drive from the city that we were at. I'm going to go the highway. You know, you come and meet me. And I was like, okay. So we kind of started converging. And eventually we got to like an on-ramp. And uh, we we met up in like a park and ride. And we were just kind of discussing what happened that night. um, Potentially like where you could be. And um, got out of my car. We were talking. And my phone rang. And, um, you said, Hey, it's me. I can still like hear your voice. You said, Hey, it's me. I need you to come to the police station with a hundred dollars. And I said, okay, I'll be right there. And I hung up the phone. I dropped it. Uh, I hit my knees. Uh, I actually like went on my hands and knees and we were in like a gravel parking lot. Um, and I started to hyperventilate. Uh, just from the relief of knowing that you weren't dead, that I wasn't a widow, that our our baby girl wasn't fatherless. Um, and I was like, okay, he's safe. He's safe. Um, so Josh, uh, Josh followed, and we got to the police station and uh, got our daughter out of the car and uh, walked in and waited for you. Um, you did your thing, they let you go, and, uh, we were greeted with a a not-so-pleasant Adam. I was pissed. At myself, of course. Um, and here's the thing, you know, we've, we've discussed this many times, I know how you felt, um, in that moment. I'm not, you know, I didn't feel as famous, but I know from you telling me how you felt in that moment, and what what's tough for me to still still deal with sometimes is the fact that I was oblivious to all of that in that moment. All I could think about was myself and how I had screwed up and, you know, how is this going to look to my family and my friends? And not really thinking about, wow, my wife had no idea where I was. She thought I was dead, you know, that that's a, a big possibility. He, he could be dead somewhere and we just don't know because why else wouldn't he be answering? Why else would he not be home? And again, putting you through that and having a daughter who was less than two months old and you, just the simple fact that you had to wake her up in the middle of the night and bring her with you and search for me. And not only that, but like, 
it wasn't a like she, it wasn't an easy two months with her mm-hmm. like the things that we had went through her birth and being hospitalized and all of that stuff like it was a very emotional tumultuous time for mm-hmm. us as a family collectively and yeah to have that kind of disregard but i think this is a perfect example of myself and where i was at that point in my life where the focus was on me the focus was on i want to go out and do the things that i want to do and you know i deserve this i work all week i provide for this family i need time to cut loose be with my friends you know whatever excuses i made and we've talked about that it's important to take a break and it's important to be with your friends but in a healthy way and not at the expense of your family and your life right and so i i do i hope that there are people out there listening that can relate to that and i Mm -hmm. hope that you're not in that place now and if you are in that place now i encourage you to take a really hard look at at why you go out and drink or you know whatever you use to relax cut loose whatever you want to say and and how is that impacting your loved ones do you even take that into consideration because i know i really didn't like i knew that there were times where you know i i probably was acting selfishly but i still did it anyway and also you know when we were talking offline i think um this is a good example of how even people who quote are middle of the lane drinkers maybe not necessarily have a drinking problem can still have massive problems in their life because of drinking and how one decision and one moment can have a lasting effect on not only you but people around you and so kind of to get back into the story, you know, of course I, the, you know, I, I walk out of there, greet you guys with um, anger and not thank you for coming, not thank you for essentially bailing me out, but like, hey, let's go. I don't want to talk about this. You I'm, threw the door open yeah, with yeah, I'm mad. Ferocity. I, <laughs> I'm, I don't never. <laughs> Again, I can laugh about this now, but I was huh. not laughing in the moment. Walking out, and Josh says, well, at least you can walk a straight line now. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to him to say that, but tried to break break the tension of the moment. So the next day, I'll wake up, and that's when you really have to start to deal with the aftermath. And these are things that... I never considered. And I don't think most people do because you never think you're going to get in this situation in the first place. Nobody ever expects themselves to get arrested, especially arrested for a DUI. Um, And so dealing with the aftermath. And I think uh, I, I, I I was completely naive to what I was going to have to go through. And that was just with the logistics of it all. Not even dealing with the emotional fallout that we were going to face. 
um, because I, I remember having a conversation with you that morning, but again, it was more geared towards what have I done to myself? How is this going to affect my future? Like, what about my job? What if they find out? How is this going to affect my future employment? Am I going to have a criminal record? Just, you know, all the things. Um, and so the next morning we had to go to the police station. I had to pay a bunch of fines. I didn't go with you. No, you didn't. Mm-mm. I was like, I'm out. Yeah, you're like, you're doing this on your own. You put yourself into this situation, you're going to deal with it. Did you, I think Josh came Josh in. Josh went God. with me, you yeah. know. And we went to the police station, paid some fines, then had to go to the impound and pay a substantial amount of money to get my car back. And that was just the first step. And, and by that point, I'm already out hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then after that, guess what? You do not have a driver's license. Your license has been taken from you. I, I did eventually br- uh, do the breathalyzer at the police station, and I blew a .13. Legal uh, limit in uh, Illinois is .08, so I was obviously over. So because of that, they took my license away for six months, and I had to get an attorney. And thank God I used to work for an attorney years ago, and so I called him up, and he said he would do it you know, pro bono, which means he wasn't going to charge me, so... I was able to save some money there, thankfully. I mean, this whole ordeal whole ordeal would have cost me a lot more money yeah. if I didn't have him. Um, but yeah, I had to go to court. Um, I, again, did not have a license, so I was completely dependent on others to drive me around. And that, again, is a very humbling experience as an adult who was able to drive himself anywhere he wanted to, including to and from work before this incident, to now have to rely on you, my mom, your mom, friends, to take me everywhere, Mm -hmm. including work, every day. Take me to work, drop me off, pick me up after work. And then, of course, the whole trying to hide it from people. It's very difficult to do that when you're being dropped off at work every day and people don't see your car. I didn't work in a big office. I worked in an office of less than probably 20 people. Um, you can't hide that. And eventually they're like, what's wrong with your car? Why don't you have your car? Why are people picking you up day in and day out and dropping you off? And, you know, um, never you were able to, I never really got around into it. it. I, I did. And, and thankfully people didn't press too much, but there's that shame and embarrassment. Mm. I'm not somebody who, who gets DUIs. That's not me. Um, so just trying to, yeah, essentially hide that. And then, yeah, so what am I going to do for the next six months? I can't continue to, to live like this. I can't rely on other people to drive me around. So um, I got a breathalyzer installed in my car, which was... Back up. How yeah. long did you not have a license? So how long before... I don't recall that. Well, I didn't have a license for six months. But after, I think after like 30 days. So I went to court and and they said that I could do this. I could get a breathalyzer installed in my car. And I want to say it was like 30 days later or something like that. I had to go at least a certain amount of time before I could do this. Yeah. And so um, got that installed. That was not cheap. And then you had to pay a monthly subscription to have it, which was not cheap. 
and this thing was clunky. I mean, it's it's a massive. Um, I don't even know how to describe. It. It's like almost like having like a computer in your car, but like also attached to like a CPAP machine. Yes, yes. And then of course there's a camera in attached to it because it has to make sure you're the one using it. Mm-hmm. So obviously you have to use it to start your car every morning. Um, but then one thing I didn't realize about it is that it randomly goes off while you're driving, and you never know when it will, and you have to blow within a certain amount of time otherwise it records that you did not use it does it shut your car down or something too no i don't think it, it doesn't did that i i mean some, i don't remember I, there was some sort of like well if you to start your car you had to blow right and right. If, if you didn't blow a zero then it wouldn't start your car right. yes yes but as you're driving i don't remember that because there was only one instance where I couldn't do it, and I was on the highway, and I dropped it. I, it went off. I'm driving on the highway, 65 miles an hour, and it went off, and I grabbed it, and it, I dropped it, and it was on like underneath my feet, like almost right by the the gas and the brake. And I'm trying. It's like you know, you only have like I don't know if it's like 15, 20 seconds, whatever to to blow. And I'm trying to grab it, and I'm like, this is, I'm swerving all over trying to grab this thing. I'm like, this is dangerous as well. You're going to get pulled over yeah, trying to. Exactly. Uh. Um, and then one other story again. Funny, maybe now, not so much then. Like I said, you don't ever know when it's going to go off. So I remember I went through a drive through one day to get some food. And of course, as soon as I get to the window, this thing goes off. And so I'm about to hand this like teenager my, my card. And I have to tell him, hold on one second. And I grab it and I blow into it. And he's just looking at me. And I remember looking back at him. I said, let this be a lesson. Don't drink and drive. And he just gave me this like look. Um, but yeah, you just never knew. When I, I hope you remember that for the, like, the re- really rest do. of his life. Because I, I, in the moment, maybe said it a little jokingly, maybe to divert the attention from what I was doing. But I truly meant it. Like, look at what I'm having yeah, to go through because right. I made this idiotic decision mm-hmm. and so yeah that was for the remainder of the time until i was able to get my license back but again i was going to court um to get things straightened out um you, you know, also had to do classes i was gonna say thankfully i was able to um basically get it where it would go off my record after a certain amount of time mm-hmm. i can't remember but yeah i was ordered to do like 50 hours of classes and I had to, you had to drop me off. I think it was like every, like twice a week or something mm-hmm. like that uh, for like three hours. You didn't start classes until after you had the breathalyzer in your car because you did those alone. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't I go yeah. or I didn't have to drop. Cause I remember they were like, they were, they were a bit of a jaunt away. It wasn't like it was super close. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. And it was like from six to 9 PM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like twice a week. And we would just kind of talk in the first couple hours and, I, you know, share some background about us, share what happened, why we were there, share if we were still drinking. And I remember, you know, sitting there and just thinking, I don't belong here. Like, you know, some people are sharing their stories and they've been addicts for years and they are on their third, fourth DUI, things like that. And then we had to also like after group sessions we also had to go meet like one-on-one with counselors and things like that and 
I remember telling them like, I just, I'm, you know, I'm not a big drinker. Like this is, you know, I, I just made a, de- a bad decision lying to them because maybe I wasn't a, again, like quote unquote, a problematic drinker, however you want to define it. But when I went out, a lot of times I drank heavily mm-hmm. and I wasn't, you know, maybe drinking every day or even every week, but there there was a, a theme for sure that I was, when I was going out, I was drinking a lot. Yeah. And so I just remember, you know, not thinking <clears throat> I belong there. And now looking back, of course I belong there because I was in the same situation as those other people. I drove when I shouldn't have, and I was caught. Um, And I also remember thinking like, you know, during all this, during this whole process, like I, I shouldn't be drinking. I just shouldn't be drinking. Like while you didn't have your license well, and you were going through everything? I didn't have my license and I was going everything. through all this again because I was just feeling a lot of shame and regret. And But it wasn't because I thought I needed to stop. It was because I didn't want people to be like, wow, he just got a DUI and he's still drinking. Like I, I didn't want people to think that. You know, so it's the perception, right? But I do recall after a couple months, like I did resume drinking, like mm-hmm. you know, I did. And my uh, <laughs> my workaround was I just had other people drive me because I knew if I was going out, I couldn't drive because I had to take a breathalyzer. So um, yeah, I had other people drive me. And so by the time it was all said and done. Um, I got my license back after six months. I don't even know how much money we had spent on that. My thousands my, of dollars. Yeah, my rough estimate was anywhere between like six and eight thousand dollars that I had to pay between fines and just everything, you know, which is is a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. But it wasn't even really about the money. It was like that what, was just another like that was another sting. yeah it was. But it was just like us having to navigate through that. And I, you know, felt embarrassment and shame for years. And I didn't really want to talk about it mm-hmm. and tried to hide it. Um, I remember having to call my, my parents after it happened <laughs> because they were in Texas uh, visiting my brothers. And I had to call and, and tell them what was going on. And, um, just remember my mom being really uh, cool about it, you know, didn't. And I, I don't know why I thought I was, you know, 30 years old. I don't know why I thought like I was going to get in trouble. You know, I'm an adult. I think it maybe, I, maybe it's just more like disappointment. Yeah, exactly. Knew I, I knew that I was going to, yeah, I knew that I was disappointing them, but she just said, okay, like we're going to, we're going to have to deal with it, you know? And I think she was just worried about how it was going to affect my life going forward. Um, but and yeah, also too, having bliss softened the blow Yeah, because when you first called her, she was worried that she thought there was something, something wrong was wrong yeah. with, yeah, with, with our daughter, not with, yeah. <laughs> not with you. So she was like, well, if everything's okay with, with bliss, then <laughs> we're all good. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. 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 But those, those following, uh, months and, and years, there were there was still we were dealing with the aftermath for a long time. You know, I mentioned losing my license. I mentioned having to uh, get rides. Our insurance company dropped us. Um, 
we uh, there was really only a couple insurance companies that would even insure me after that Mm -hmm. and our rates skyrocketed so -hmm. that was another financial part of it i think our our rates um basically tripled because we had like no options there was Two? two two insurance companies that said they'd still insure me but it was going to be for a significant amount of money so these are all things that you just don't even think about and they are again not emotional things um, relationship things that you have to deal with that we we did deal with for a long time and so uh you know years later i can reflect back and count my blessings that no one got hurt because you hear about stories all the time and it seems that a lot of times the person who was driving under the influence is the person that ends up walking away and it's an innocent person that you know ends up getting hurt or or dying and so the fact that you know I made it through without myself being hurt anyone else being hurt is um is a miracle because you know, I was in no condition to be operating a vehicle at that point. But, um, you know, I'd like to hear you, Leslie, talk a little bit more about the aftermath and how you and how it affected you. Um, I think it was. Uh, and for a long time, I kind of felt this way in our marriage, but there was like this Adam that I loved and I adored and that I knew that was like the like the true you, who you really were. And then there was the Adam that, you know, drank and wanted to go out and was hung over the next day. And there was consistent disappointment. And um, all through the while of kind of navigating the whole DUI process, it was always like this... Um, juxtaposition of like I felt so bad that you were having to go through this I felt so bad because I knew in my heart of hearts and who you were because you know you're my husband and there's all these amazing qualities about you and and you're my Adam and then on the flip side of that I was so angry and I was so mad that you would put Um, our family in this position, that you would put this financial burden on us, that um, you would choose such a a dangerous decision over, um, over making the right decision. It was just this constant back and forth, you know, anger and then understanding and then anger and understanding. Um, And it was like that for a long time. And I think, uh, um, a big reason was because you were so reluctant to talk about it. Um, it was almost like this, like, you know, shameful blanket that, you know, that, that we were kind of wearing and that we didn't want anybody to find out about. And just because it would make you feel bad. And um, so that like, yeah, just the, the reluctancy to just, be honest and open and truthful about it. But also too, I I feel like a lot of the shame came from the fact that you did not want to stop drinking because had this happened and this was your aha moment, this was your epiphany of like, I think maybe I have a problem and I need to address it and I need to move forward in my life without alcohol, like totally. Um, I think there, it, it, the energy around it would have been much different. 
But since there wasn't that, uh, that brevity to be able to, um, like, okay, let's step into this and let's dialogue about it. Let's try and move past it. It was more of just like this darkness kind of like lurching around all the time. I think a lot of people talk about the rock bottom Mm -hmm. and, you know, for most people, you would think a DUI would be your rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a very dark time in my life. But it wasn't the end of my drinking. Mm-mm. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to stop. And, um, you know, looking back, I do sometimes wonder, like, how did you not see it then? Why did it take so much longer for you to finally, six years it took me, six more years to finally realize that alcohol, al- not serving alcohol was detrimental to my life? But I also think I think it just goes to show the power of alcohol and the power of addiction. And even though I wasn't, you know, living in a gutter and I wasn't brown bagging it, you know, all the stereotypes you think about when people, you know, think about it, addicts. And I was functioning daily, and I wasn't drinking daily, and I was still, from all perspectives, you know, a good, good husband, good father, provider. We had, you know, living a good life. You just, you never, never know what's truly going on with people. We always try to put this front on that everything's good and everything's Mm -hmm. dandy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people out there are struggling. A lot of people are going through things that they don't want to talk about. And I was the same way. I did not want to talk about it. But when you start to, to heal and you forgive yourself and obviously eliminate alcohol from my life and repair relationships um that's when you really truly are able to open up and talk about things like this i would not have been able to talk about this a year ago i wasn't drinking alcohol a year ago but i wasn't ready to talk about this there was still a process of me forgiving myself for all the things that i had put everyone through that i loved um, but also just forgiving myself and um, not letting my mistakes and decisions define who I am. Mm-hmm. The past is the past. We cannot go back and change it. I know that's a cliche, but when we dwell on it and we focus on it, it doesn't let us move forward. It doesn't allow us to heal because we're constantly thinking about things that we've done and living in that shame and not allowing ourselves to to love ourselves again. You're identifying with somebody right. eight years ago, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. And it was so difficult in those first few days, weeks, months to look ahead. You know, I, I just re- I remember thinking, how am I going to get through this? Like, how is this ever going to be better? How am I going to go back to? life again as I knew it and I remember you know a couple people saying like you know at some point you'll move on like this will seem like a distant memory to you and it to truth be told it will never be that way this will always be something that's a part of my life and my journey but it doesn't mean that I have to let it define me doesn't mean I have to live in that shame and guilt 
as I said earlier in the podcast, it's not something I'm grateful for. I'm not happy I went through it. None of us are happy that we had to go through it. But at some point in my life, it did teach me something. And it did help me grow. And I... When do you think you... When do you think you like understood that it actually did teach you something? Not till years later. Yeah. I mean, not till I stopped drinking, really? probably. Um, because I don't feel like I ever learned until I eliminated alcohol because that's what that moment was trying to teach me. But again, I wasn't ready to learn it. I wasn't ready to accept it oh. and, and realize that that should have been my quote unquote rock bottom. And there wasn't a time afterwards where, you know, it was worse than that. I would say from a, like, you know, mm-hmm. legal standpoint right. and uh, like, oh, he lost his, you know, job because of this mm-hmm. or he lost his family because of this. But as we've talked about before, I was really close. I was really close to losing you mm-hmm. and, the, and the kids. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think I fully understood what I had learned until alcohol was no longer a part of my life. Mm -hmm. But the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, again, I know that there are people out there that are struggling, and it doesn't even have to be related to alcohol. We all go through things. We all are in those dark moments where we just don't see a way out. And we think, you know, is this ever going to get better? And it will get better. You know, it's so hard to see past the moment you're in. But also, it's going to take effort on your part. It's going to take work on your part. Things don't just magically get better. And, you know, there's that that cliche like, you know, time heals all wounds. I don't believe that. It definitely helps sometimes. But also, there's work that you have to put into it. And you have to change. You can't just think that because a year passed, things are going to be better. Because what did you do? What did you do during that year to mm-hmm. make it better? So I hope that by me telling this story and you sharing your perspective of it, because that's another thing, it affects so many people. When you make bad decisions, it affects so many people. And you don't always realize that in that moment. Um, like I said, I was, I was focused on myself during most of that time i did of course think about you know you and bliss and like what i had put you through but again it always kind of came back to me how am i going to deal with this how am i going to move past this and so it you know it took a long time it did like i said earlier one decision you know in one moment can really have a lasting impact for years and years but I wanted this story to have a happy ending, and it, it, it does. Not all stories do have a happy ending, but um, I, I hope that if there's people out there listening that are going through their own struggles, that they know that there is a brighter side. There is a better day coming. But again, you have to put forth that effort. You have to heal. You have to love yourself. You have to know that you are worth fighting for and fighting through whatever you're going through. Miguel missed <laughs> <laughs> But that is, that's absolutely true. And I think that 
when you remove the addiction, whatever it is, um, you kind of get that parting of the forest through the trees. Like you're finally able to kind of, you know, from a distance see why I was, you know, trying to avoid feeling a certain way or trying to numb a certain emotion or try, you know, whatever that addiction was, was feeding and fueling inside of you, you're able to finally just confront what was happening inside. And there's so many people, especially adults that kind of have that, that gnawing feeling that they just can't figure out what's happening inside of them. And so they're, you know, numbing through social media or Netflix or alcohol or marijuana, like whatever, whatever your vice is, whatever you found to do it. But you said it so perfectly. One, you are worth, you're worth fighting for. You are absolutely 100% worth fighting for. You are amazing. And you also have gifts. You have tools. You have amazing qualities that this earth needs a hundred percent and you have to invest in yourself you have to invest in yourself and learning to love yourself is probably going to be one of the hardest things that you'll ever learn to do if you have a history of addiction um, because there is a wake (laughs) there's a a wake that you leave you know in the midst of your decision making but Learning to love yourself and honor yourself for who you are, you will never regret that. And then you'll begin to make your um, make your mark on this world. And that's what we're here for, right? We're here for helping other people and loving other people hard and, you know, being a light to somebody else. But it starts with you. It starts with you. Like you have to love yourself. You have to value yourself. You have to see yourself as worthy of everything that you want to give. But it starts with you. That was beautifully said. And you are the only person that can change yourself. Someone else can't do it for Mm -hmm. you. And that being said, you know, having a support system around you is so so vital Mm -hmm. to your success you can't do it alone but you are going to be the person who has to make that change because as great as you are and you know you've supported me through all of this and i'm eternally grateful for it but you would never have been able to change me there's a lot of things that you've done throughout our marriage that have had lasting impacts on me and i know have helped me become who i am Mm -hmm. but you couldn't do that for me. I had no. to finally make that that change on my own. Mm. So it it does. It it's all it comes down to you and knowing that you're worth it and fighting through all the adversity because you know that you are worth it and um eventually things are going to get better. They will. So I know this was a heavy episode. It was a much needed episode. And like I said, one that I've wanted to do, I knew maybe not wanted to do, but I knew that we were going to do at some point on this podcast. And I'm just thankful for everyone who took the time to listen to this. 
thankful for everyone who supported me through through the DUI and then everything else afterwards. Again, having a support system in place, I'm so, so thankful for just some great people in my life, people who love me no matter what I did um, and just wanted to see me be happy. And so could never thank them enough for that. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much. Hope you guys have a wonderful week.